0: This is the Angry GM, and this is the Angry GM's mostly monthly live chat for the month of December in the year of 2023. That's right, I'm doing monthly live chats again, just in time for the last monthly live chat of the year. Um, Yeah, and that's it. That's as much as I have prepared for this live chat, and now I am totally off script. Because, as I mentioned in the chat coming into this... I have no idea what to talk about, and I absolutely do not want to talk about me anymore. I'm sick of talking about me and everything, um, and trying just to move past it. And so, you know, you've all heard the stories at this point that we are not going to do that tonight. Instead, we are going to try and have a little bit of fun tonight. And um, so... And I, you know what? I don't even know. Like, as far as usually, I start these things by talking about um, news, like what I'm planning to do on the on the site or whatever. But right now, the plan is just to write the the last three articles for the year, um, and then come back fresh in January. And in the meanwhile, I am traveling back to New York for a week for Christmas to see my family. So that is going to be nice. Um, yeah. So you know, and I've pretty much talked about what it is that I'm writing for the next couple of weeks at least I do know like I did the the stealth and infiltration thing um I finally got that out, which that was a couple of days late um which we're not talking about, but also uh, I am glad I got it done uh it was a it was a really difficult one to write um which I feel like I'm saying that a lot, but um, timer begins sort of. By my clock, the timer should have begun two minutes ago. I got Procellus, the producer, producing for me, uh, and Biscuit, the um, obstacle to things. You cannot sit on Daddy right now, sorry. Um, Biscuit is here as well, lending her lending her own uh, uh, brand of help to the proceedings anyway and now I've completely lost whatever it was I was about to say what the hell was I saying oh yeah so the stealth and infiltration thing it's done I did it y'all made me do it and man I had to really work hard to figure out anything that I felt was worth saying in there because I really do feel like in the end I said the same thing I said in every other resolving encounters video or uh, uh, resolving encounters feature, which was basically resolve one action at a time and then decide how it works and then you know decide how things respond and then invite the players to act and the yada 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 and just make sure that you're doing the actions as small as possible and really that's like the key to everything is that GMs these days, they let too much action happen in one die roll. So it's like, you know, I'll sneak across the entire open plane up to the castle and then scale the wall and then sneak up behind the guard and then stab him in the neck. Okay, fine, Mike, one stealth check. You know, uh, and like, there is a time for that. And this is, some, this is probably one of those things that I'm going to need to go back. Because I did mention that there would come a day where I was going to go back and add more to the true game mastery thing. And one of them, like a long time ago, I wrote this article on the concept of the game turn. This flexible smear of time um, that you know, s- the encompassed an action that the players would take. Because I ran into this last week at, at the home game, t- at my uh, at my in-person game, um, and that was explaining to the players that you could declare a broad action instead of a single interaction and spend, say, four hours canvassing the neighborhood Asking the neighbors if they heard anything weird the night the guy disappeared. If you you know, so there was a um yeah, you know, so obviously a dude disappeared in the middle of the night. He went out to make night soil and never came back. Um, his wife and child are very upset. It has been two days. Um, so one of the party members wanted to see if anybody in the neighborhood had heard anything. Or seen him going out and walking to the river, which was like a block away, to go do his business because they live in the slums. Um, So, um, you know, I had to explain. It's like you can canvas the neighborhood as an action. And then, like, you know, then we, you know, we'll roll one gossip or, or, you know, uh, gather information check. Um, and then that will cover the four hours or whatever. And if there is an interesting interaction in there, it can always be expanded out into a social challenge or an encounter, where it's like, okay, you run into this person, they have interesting information, but it's clear they're hiding something. So if you want to bury and uh, like an invest like a social encounter in there, you can do it. Or otherwise, you can just give the person the summary of, of the information. Or my favorite approach, which is to give someone information, most of the information, delivered via one specific NPC so that they get this sort of interaction scene and they can ask a few follow-up questions. And that person is the representative of the information, and then you fill it in in with some other information as you narrate the, and then you have several similar conversations. And from those conversations, you also learn this, this, and this, and you confirm this guy meant what he said when he said this, you know? So, you know, that kind of a thing. But, like, this whole, the idea of a flexible turn so that players could, like, players can, do not just have to interact with the thing in front of them, you know, especially like in town, they can interact with a neighborhood or they can interact with a location or they can inter like if the town or village is small enough, they can interact with the entire village and take an action against the village that is like four hours of just, you know, I'm going to to wander around and do all my shopping, you know, kind of a thing. So anyway, um, what was the question? Was I answering a question? I don't think I was answering a question yet. It has not been the Q&A portion. So, anyway, let's. Uh, the game turn. That was the question. That's not a question. That's just three words. Um, but anyway, um, I did an arbitrary thing about the game turn. Or I did a thing about the arbitrary game turn a while ago. And I think that's something that needs to come back into true game mastery also. Um, because it's a skill that game masters and players just don't have anymore. It's like everything has to be instantaneous, um, you know, like, moment-by-moment interactions. There's no summaries, which, when you get down to it, is one of the things that makes resolving travel so hard. And if I decide to answer Quizzle's question later, I might even talk about that. But then um, you all have to agree not to use my secret ideas. Um, But getting past that, okay. So... There's, I'm gonna do the camera thing now because I have a reason to have a camera. And the reason is, oh uh, shit, wait. Maybe, uh, we're gonna turn off the camera a second. Uh, whoops. Oh, I didn't turn on the camera yet. Okay, good. Good. Uh, we're just gonna, so that I don't dox anyone here, we're just gonna rip off a label. Okay so pants check yeah no I am wearing pants. so I, I did actually lit- I changed my t-shirt for this because I was wearing this really loosey basically plain white pajama t-shirt that is not a, a, my nice t-shirt and then I switched to one of my new holiday t-shirts uh, so that I would at least look presentable uh, but the reason is, okay, camera on. Uh, if you are listening to the recording, you are not going to be able to enjoy the video visual component of this. Um, but those of you who are listening live uh, will get to enjoy it. Um, oh, thank you. Queasel is saying, I like your Christmas shirt. So I bought myself two new Christmas shirts this year. And Biscuit is back here checking out what's going on. So there's Biscuit. But I received this in the mail. I knew it was coming. It was forwarded to me by Angry On Nitsua, a friend of me of the show Nitsua. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. The office is trashed. It's it's pretty bad. My I don't want to talk about it. My side is nice. Um, there, but there is detritus from somebody else's life in my office right now. So. I am led to understand that Nitsua and several other Angrions, though I have no idea who or how many were involved in this, um, sent this sent this to me to, uh, I guess, brighten my holidays. Um, and I did not open it because I knew I was doing the live chat. Can we stop commenting on the the office trash? Oh, um, just. Yeah. Just leave it alone. There, there is an emotional component to this, so just leave it be. Biscuit is very interested in what I'm doing now. Okay. So, I did not open this because I knew I was doing the live chat. Queezel is saying about 24 angry-ons. Okay. Um, and actually... I, know that I don't know who spearheaded what or who did anything, but I know some of the people who were involved at this point. And I have been told that um, basically a collection plate was passed around in order to uh, send me something to brighten my days because I have been having some pretty dark days lately, which um, I'm not going to get emotional, but I could and I'm not gonna. Um, but I also am led to understand that People were generous enough that a significant amount of money had to be donated um, over and above the gift. Uh, and so a donation was made to the Children's Miracle Network, which I am also tremendously grateful for. Um, I, you know, in the past I've raised funds for the Children's Miracle Network myself. I love their mission. Um, they're one of my favorite charities. They're they're behind the extra life thing. Biscuit is now doing a cl- crotch. Cl- oh, she's off camera. Okay, sweetie, sweetie, keep your legs together when you're on camera. Okay, those are the rules. No class, I swear. She has she has an intense cleaning need right now. The cats are shameless. So anyway, so I have no idea what is in here except that. Apparently, it might have come from Lord of Maps, but I don't even know if that was just a box that was used. So we're just going to open it up and see what's inside and hope it's not something that Biscuit will destroy. And I instant... I see bubble wrap immediately. And it is... Shit! (laughs) It is a bunch of stuff (laughs) that all just fell apart. Oh, cool. Okay, so... This is... A lovely, um, a map of New York City. I don't know how well anybody can see that. Um, this is one of these. Um, I guess it did come from Lord of Maps then, which um, they did. Like there is this specific style of map. It's very much like the maps Tolkien drew. Um, it is in a very nice, uh, very nice frame that almost, almost kind of matches my desk and everything. So I am definitely. This is going to get hung up because. I do have some other wall art hung up here, um, including, I have a similarly styled map of, don't look at my pajama pants. I do have a similarly styled map of Germany that I purchased a few years ago. Um, But, oh my God, that is really amazing. This is really gorgeous. I am going to get this right up on the wall. uh, And I'm also going to hang back up my Germany map. So that is... That's really cool. I, I love map. Honestly, it is my passion for maps more than anything else that got me into dungeon mastering. And when I was a wee little irate, angry on or angry way back in the day, spent endless hours using the map key inside the the base the red box. So when you got, if you got your your red box. Um, D&D set, your basic D&D box. Uh, Inside the Dungeon Master's Guide, there was this little map key of dungeon mapping symbols. And this was, it was, my obsession was... During all my classes, I would sit there with graph paper and with that map key, and I would just be drawing maps endlessly. And one of my first players, Peter Casalino, he had no idea what I was doing. He would sit behind me in class, and he would ask, what are you doing? And I would explain, you know, I, I, it's Dungeon Dragons. I'm making these dungeon adventures that you know, so that people can explore them and stuff. Uh, and, you know, the, the adventure's got to go through. And then he would sit there, and he would whisper behind me, he would come up with all these ideas for like really brutal, savage, impossible pit traps and deadfalls and, and like grim tooth type traps that nobody would ever get through. He's like, Oh yeah. You know what? Put a revolving door in there. Cause he would see there's a symbol for a revolving door actually. So, Oh, put a revolving door in there. But when someone steps through it, it just starts spinning really, really fast. And it like chops, chops off their arm and leg and whatever parts are in there. I'm like, yeah, you know that's you get this. That's exactly what you do as a GM. Um, and a few months later, he finally I finally convinced him to come and play in one of my games. Uh, and uh, he then he said, "You know, I'm glad that you didn't use any of my ideas in your dungeon." Oh like, yeah. <laughs> that was also he. He approached it. Um, he was one of the most creative players I ever had, and at one point, he was my only player, and he was playing four different specialist wizards. We were playing AD&D second edition and he decided he wanted to run, he wanted to play as an entire party of four four wizards all with different specialties. Um, and they were the, all the apprentices of this wizard who had gone missing. And so these four apprentices were off adventuring together. And he he had been a big fan of Sierra, like the King's Quest Sierra point and clicky adventure games. The ones where you pick up absolutely everything that's not nailed down and you solve every problem by rubbing every item on everything in the world until the thing clicks. And he was dealing with my adventures that way. I mean, at one point, he encountered a carry-on crawler. Okay, so in a previous room, there, there had been, um, it was a bedroom that had been, you know, like put to torch. So it was like a burnt blanket and burnt bedding and all that stuff. And he took it because he took everything. And I didn't understand it. He was always taking everything, which I later understood because he explained the King's Quest thing. But he took this burnt sooty blanket, right? Um, And, you know, a little while later, he encountered a carry-on crawler with with the eight flaily mouth tentacles that paralyze you. So it has eight paralyzing attacks and... And so what he did was he unfolded the sooty blanket and he just heaved it at the carry-on crawler as the carry-on crawler reared up and then like just like caught its head in the blanket so that all its tentacles were just kind of, man, I love having a camera. This is great. I can pantomime shit now. Man, I got to do everything on camera now because that was a perfect exit. That was carry-on crawler. Here comes the blanket. Oh, no, the carry-on crawler. Ah, there we go. Awesome. Okay. Uh there was another box in there, by the way, and it is also taped closed, so I'm just gonna open that up too. And we're gonna see what's inside. And if a bunch of stuff falls out of here or if this is breakable, I'm gonna be really upset because I may have broken it. Oh. Okay. There is a leather cover. Oh, okay. Oh, I bet I I'm, I'm oh, okay. This is nice. Oh shit. All right. I thought this was just like a nice journal with a with a leather cover, and it is. But there are messages um, from everybody who was involved here. Uh, it looks like Nitsua wrote them all out. So I assume everybody submitted messages, and Nitsua wrote them all wrote them all out. And you know what? It has been suggested to me that one of the things I need to do, especially as I'm struggling lately, is to start keeping a box of like the various compliments and good feedback and nice things people have said to me um, to remind me when it's hard why I'm doing what I'm doing. So I think that's what this is going to become, is that when when I get a good piece of feedback that needs to be saved, I'll either write it in here or I will print it out and tape it onto a page. And then gradually what this will become is this will become my notebook of reasons. And so thank you immensely to uh Aeternus and... Athator, oh Athatos, the the villain of um, the villain of Axiom Verge, Alyssa, Great Kate, Ice Bear, Fifty, Nail, Um, Wiley, uh, Gandave, Suyin, Chrisayor, Quizzle, Juicetron, French Rice Merman, Mendel, O Dog, the funny guy. Logic Dragon, Nitsua is in there. Agent Car, Arthur, October Foundry, Proselus, and Woosh. Um, thank you all for taking the time and now you know, he said that it would be obvious who was involved and how many people were involved once I uh once I got this. So yeah, I Oh there's oh what is and there's some oh okay that's just placeholder. So yeah, you know what? This, that's what this is gonna become. This is gonna become a, a journal for collecting stuff. And meanwhile, Biscuit is happy here. Oh, she ran away because I touched it. Biscuit's going to enjoy the bubble wrap. Is it an Anami paper notebook? I do not know. Uh, Seven Seas writer uh, from Studio Note. And it does. It has a leather cover with a with a pen holder that you put it together. I have a similar one. I have a refillable journal. Um, this is what I use for my personal journaling, and it's it's got a leather cover, and you can just swap out the the inside pages. Seven C's is the name of the notebook series. Okay, so it is Seven C's from Studio Note, and it is made in Japan. So I I'm glad I got. I'm glad an English patch was applied so that I can read these messages, but I'm not going to read all these messages right now because I am feeling a little bit um, emotional, in a in a good way. So, thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, I mean, thank you for everything, really. Which, I know, it that doesn't sound like my usual heartfelt self, because I'm usually very, very... I try very hard to make sure that I am always expressing gratitude for the support, patience and everything everyone gives me. Um, I am, I am very grateful. I'm just a little, I'm honestly a little bit stunned. This is, this is really amazing. And this map is really nice. I'm going to hang it right on my wall. Um, it'll go well with everything else that is there. It's, you know, I'm going to be here in a week. So, I don't actually come from the city, I come from the suburbs. So I was about 40 miles from the city. Um, You know, so we spent a lot of time in the city, obviously. Uh, Out on Long Island, which is very built up suburbs. You know, like Chicago is surrounded by the Chicagoland area, Long Island is based. Do not chew on this, no. Okay, we are gonna put this somewhere where Biscuit can't get at it. Here, play with the bubble wrap. I'm not. Okay, I'm not going to throw the bubble wrap for you. All right. So I'm glad we got to do that on camera. And I'm sorry for those of you who couldn't see what was going on and who had to just listen in. Um, Hopefully I was able to create a beautiful word picture. Um, And since I have the camera, like... uh, Where are we at? 23 minutes in. I kind of, you know what? I do want to talk about a project that I'm working on because I am having a lot of fun with this. And... Um, one of the things I heard, I was watching, I, I was watching uh, Jordan Peterson, Dr. Jordan Peterson, give a talk on depression. Um, and one of the things he he mentioned that resonated with me is that if you are a creative person, which I consider myself to be, then you must make sure that you create every day, or else you will just kind of waste away and die. And he kind of hit the nail on the head because I have been having trouble just, like, getting to work. And there has been a project that I have needed to do for my AD&D campaign um, that I have been putting off for a while. I have to be careful what I say about things because my players are uh, either listening in or they will be listening to the recording one or the other. Um, This is my online game, AD&D 2nd Edition. Um, which initially I envisioned as sort of a short-run game. The goal was to give us a couple of months of play. And I wrote a very limited, plotted story, which um, basically was to amount to... uh, nine, five, six, seven, seven, seven or eight adventures, mostly... Dungeon crawly, site explorery, go to a place and do a thing kind of adventures, um, with one or two sessions in between of travel and town interaction to decide where to go next, kind of a thing. And I wrote it with a particular story in mind, um, with you know it's plotted out, and the plot was based on the characters that I was given. And the way we generated characters, because this was AD&D 2nd Edition, was everybody took 3D6, rolled them down the line, and then made whatever character they made. And then with each player, I sat down and worked out sort of a bare-bones background. Um, And then I took those backgrounds and said, okay, how can I write a nine-adventure eigenplot? Okay? And... Um I I, can, I think that's a TV tropes term. So the idea is where each character's background or something specific about the character or whatever figures into the game at at least one point. So everybody started the campaign with something, some information, an item, um, some documents, whatever it was, or skills or background story, whatever it was, that would all feature into this beautiful tapestry of a mess of a story. And the the players, they they took to it with gusto, which I, I love these players. I've been running games for them off and on for years now online. Um, they're an amazing group of players. Um, And they have really taken to the whole, hey, can we just generate characters and just start playing and not try to write elaborate backstories and what have you? Um, And they've gotten more and more on board with that as time has gone on. And the characters that have emerged have become so rich and detailed and interesting and the players are super fully invested in them. So it's a really, really, um, it's really been a great experience. And so it was fun to kind of put this together. The problem is, of course, my pacing, especially online, sucks. And where it's getting killed is in the interqual shit. So the like the one session in towns have stretched out to be three or four sessions long. And the one session of travel has now stretched out to be You know, your or the sessions of travel have been stretching out. So we are only now like I hate to say this because I know they're listening and they may not recognize they may not realize this. Because the camp the campaign has actually technically been running for several months now. Of course, in that time I was hospitalized and there have been a lot of distractions and craziness. So a lot of games did get canceled, a lot of sessions got um um tanked, uh, especially lately. Um, but we're, we're kind of back on track now, except for my holiday trip. And I, re- I, I hope to keep it that way now. I mean, at this point, there should be no further disruptions because there's nothing left in my life to break. I'm sorry. That was... I, I apologize for saying that. Forget I said that. Anyway. Um, so, anywho. So, the point is that they are only now, after several months of playing starting the second adventure. They are traveling to adventure two of eight. I also pointed out, we had a funny moment um, because I have been keeping very careful track of time um, for reasons. And I pointed out that um, the, the entire course of play so far has cons- has basically encompassed a week. Like, the campaign started f- five months ago, maybe? Of off and on, intermittent play, and, and all sorts of, it's been so drawn out. And yet, in the world, a week has passed. So. <laughs> and I pointed that out the other, I said to them, it's like, you know, two days ago, you left Amberwall Keep, which is the name of one of the Um, one of the uh, basically the town they left to go where they're going. He said, "You know, you were at Amberwall Keep two days ago." And one of the players, he said, "That can't be right." (laughs) But it, um, but anyway, I do need to. Yeah, honestly, part of me is like, I need to pick up the pace and burn through this. And part of me is like, you know what? Everybody is having so much fun, and it's going so well. That if I could just stay consistent, I don't care how long this shit takes. Um, If it takes six months, you know, if it's gaming until the summertime, I do not care. It'll be fun. Um, But anyway, so one of the things um, was a set of maps that I that I shared around the Discord, Um, and maybe I'll I'll not only I'll share them now, but I will also post links to them. I don't um I can't pull them up quickly but I think I can show them all so the elf in the party who is an envoy from the elvish people who have been out of touch with humanity for something like you know like 700 years or whatever um and they have been of course keeping beads on humanity waiting to see if they should re-establish contact now in that 800 years or thousand years or whatever it is, The major kingdom of humanity had fallen um, and had been, uh, the, the kingdom had been abandoned and in ruin for hundreds of years before settlers and refugees came and resettled some of the land. So he got a couple of maps. He got this map of the current kingdom based on what the elves' spies have revealed to them about the current kingdom. But he also got this ancient map of the ancient kingdom. I will, let's, let's see how quickly I can get links up. Uh, I, I'll, I'll do, oh, I'll, whatever, I'll drop uh, campaign maps. Should be able. Yeah, so I think I've shared these before, but I'm very, very proud of them. Okay, and I'm putting them in the Discord, and I'll I'll also post them when I post the recording, so they are uploading now, so you can all click on. In fact, I'm going to just upload this stuff and then take the camera off. Okay, all right. So he has this current map, and this current, the current map of Ulrax match in the time of King Ulrax's march in the time of King Jural the Ulrax II um, is a fairly inaccurate little road map. Okay, it shows the major roads of the kingdom and how the major settlements are connected and nothing else. And then the other one is this ancient map of this millennium-old kingdom, which is labeled in Elvish, and I gave him the key to translating the names. But the translations are imperfect. They don't quite match what the human names for all of these places are, but because the names are descriptive, they are close. Okay, and this formed the centerpiece of one of the first mysteries was the party is trying to track down a scholar who has gone to explore an ancient location, and the only thing they knew was the name of the location they were trying to explore. And so the elf sat with the two different maps and looked at the translations and figured out which of those L dots on the map was the likely place? And also figured out two other important locations from later that, um, that based on other clues that were dropped um, for sites they might want to explore later. So, you know, that was that was one of the major puzzles is a series of geography puzzles i don't want to call it puzzles because that sounds like oh you know you walk you know it's like mist where you pull the lever or do the sliding tile puzzle and it this is these aren't puzzles so much as these are tools to find locations in the world and so there is a series of here are these ancient maps and you are going to have to use these ancient maps to figure out the places you need to go. And I wanted that to be kind of a, uh, a running thing, though uh, not always in the same, you know, it's like, you know, one of the things with what I'm, I'm, call, I'm gonna call this building puzzle motifs. Okay, the idea is you don't just build one puzzle. Instead, you build a series of problems that build on themselves in some ways. So these are geography problems. So problem number 1 is we have these imperfect translations and we have to find out where the scholar went, the scholar went to this ancient site, whatever. Other problems might involve triangulation or, you know, a series of directions that then you have to, you know, try to follow across the map or stuff like that. So you have all these problems that all build on the basic motif of here are the here is this ancient map that is imperfectly labeled, and this modern map that is imperfectly scaled, and between the two of them, can the party find the information they need to go to the places they want to go to? Okay, the second set of puzzles, or the second puzzle motif, is based on the stars, because one of the one of the characters is a cleric who decided to be an astrologer or take the, sec- the, the non-weapon proficiency in astrology. Okay, and that is, so I need star charts. And already they, they ran into one little puzzle where there were these inscriptions on the wall that depicted different constellations. And someone said they left something under a particular star uh, for the party to fight. It was the scholar again. And the scholar's like, I left mes- a message under this star. And when the party went to the scholar's house, they discovered there were uh, woodcuts on the wall depicting the different constellations. They're like, oh, okay, so now we gotta, like, a, you know, which constellation is which woodcut and find the thing that way. Okay, but again, because you wanna build up these puzzle motifs, um, and I, you know, basically I needed enough information to build different problems out of. And the one thing I am leaving out, is that all of this is building up to a climax that has to do with both geography and stars and can only be, and other things as well. And so like the party, the players don't, you know, they obviously they know there's gonna be a climax, it's a campaign, and I did tell them it's plotted. But so all of these things are going to build into the climax. Um, and so I was going to need enough information to build the climax. So what I have been doing in this past week um, is finally getting around to figuring out the heavens of my campaign. And so I needed to do to do two things. and that is one, I needed to figure out the major constellations of the zodiac. That is, in my world, the ten constellations, Um, that are supposedly keyed to personality traits and ideas, and those I just uploaded on the right, and you can see them, the sage, the dragon, the hermit, the griffin, the sage, uh, the staff, the nymph, the ship, the phoenix, the knight, and the treant. Um, And they are actually, like, I did figure out the order that they go in and also sort of what they represent. Um, And from there, I then built a star map of the sky... Um, which I posted on the, it's still a work in progress. Um, But, uh, because it it just has these like hazy pencil borders on it right now, I will fix that. Um, But you can see, by the way, the ecliptic, which is the smaller circle, um, and the constellations of the zodiac, the 10 major constellations. All fall along the ecliptic, which means that, you know, the sun passes, the sun, the moons, the two moons and the five planets pass through those to, you know, determine astrology, you know, and then there's a bunch of minor constellations in the sky also, like the werewolf and the king and queen and the elf and the spider and the great serpent or just the serpent. Um... Yes, and then there are the evil red stars, which the party already knows about because there are five stars in the sky that are decidedly red, and the party um uh the astrologer knows that there are stories about um their astrological significance because they are viewed as the evil stars. There are five evil stars, the azari. might that be important, who's to say but anyway, what I'm particularly proud of though, is that um. This is actually a functional star map. Um, so there is an overlay that I can put on top of it, uh, basically a mask that blocks out certain parts of it. And by rotating that overlay and blocking it out, I can actually, if I really wanted to, I could show the positions of the stars on any date at any time in the, at the location of my campaign. If I wanted to, I don't need to do that. I I did need to do it a little, um, and I can't talk too much about that because there are a, there is a series of puzzle motifs that will build around this. So, so basically, what I have here is this information is now stuff along with two other sets of information is stuff that I can now mix and match into different. Um, encounters and riddles and puzzles and mysteries and all that shit uh, for the next eight adventures of gameplay you know right now the party is going to um, the a sanctuary of, of an order of ancient astrologers so they are probably expecting a lot of constellation puzzles and match the star puzzles and things like that um, I'm not going to say whether they're right to or wrong to expect that but what have you um, you know, but that's what I've been working on and I wanted to show it off because I am really super proud of it and it has been really, really fun. Um, and I, it seems like a lot of, like somebody commented on the fact that this, this is like a lot of work uh, and it, it has been, though really building the, the whole star chart when I actually sat down and just started doing it, it was basically two hours of work And I plan to use it ongoing for about, you know, for, like I said, three to six months of play. I plan to get information out of it. So it was one of those things where at this point, like I could build a bunch of individual star puzzles, like, you you know, um, but it was one of those points where it's easier now to just figure out what the heavens look like and what the names of the major constellations are and where they are in the sky and all of that stuff. Um, and then to build puzzles from that information, then it would be to build, say, 10 different puzzles slash mysteries slash riddle things around, you know, you, you know, all as isolated, build the things deemed on stars. Okay, so... Okay. Um and also I like somebody asked how I did it. I think I think it was Great Kate. Uh great in sort of a backhanded way, Kate, Great Kate, I think, asked how I did it because the, the comment was something along the lines of um either you're a genius at astronomy or I'm really bad at astronomy, um, or this isn't as hard as it seems. And I'm like, yeah, it's actually that third one. This isn't as complicated as it seems. Okay. Um, you can actually, like, if you've ever, as a kid, if you ever made your own star wheel by printing out a star chart and then printing out a, a sleeve or a mask to go over, oh, I don't have the camera now and I'm pantomiming. So, you, uh, I, like, it, if you didn't, you know, in the time before we had phones and we could just get, like, a stargazing app, you would actually have a circular map of the sky, exactly like the one I posted. And then there would be a wheel over it um, that it basically it had a cut. It was opaque, but it had a cutout that showed just the sky in your area. And by rotating it into position uh, for the time of day and the date in the year, you could then see what your sky would look like, okay um, and once you know how those go together, um it's actually not hard to build one yourself. The biggest thing is like so you you know a pole there's a pole star in the center, and in my world, it's the tip of the sword, and that's the around which the whole sky rotates. And then you, the, like, if you want a zodiac, you need an ecliptic. And the ecliptic is the path that the sun and the moon and the planets follow through the sky, which is an offset, smaller circle. And the constellations that lie on the ecliptic are the zodiac. That's why our zodiac constellations are what they are. So I drew an ecliptic and I offset. I think my ecliptic is technically offset about 25 degrees Instead of 23 and a half degrees from center. But um, anyway, but that's neither here nor there. Because what I actually did was I printed out a build your own star map thing. I downloaded a PDF. And I just took a ruler and measured it. And then just basically made a template and then just started drawing my sky on that. I figured out in advance what the constellations of the Zodiac looked like. Uh, because I wanted to present them in that old, the old style where you have like this line drawing, and then you draw the constellation over the line drawing. Um, but the rest of the constellations, I just made them up and scattered them about the sky, and then I scattered the random stars. The 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 Azari are the the five evil stars are actually in specific positions though. which is why i had to do some finagling to figure out where the horizons were and stuff but you know my party will hopefully figure that out someday and if not the evil stars will kill them or something who knows because you can't drop mention of evil stars in like session two and it's like oh and by the way because that's i slipped it in in passing too I was like, the the Clara character, he was stargazing. It was like the first or second night of the campaign, the first or second session. And he's stargazing. And I didn't think he would want to do it right away. So, because I knew that this stuff was in the offing. But it didn't become necessary for the campaign yet. So I kept like, oh, I don't need to do the Star Trek thing yet. And that seems like it's going to be a hell of a lot of work. And it's not going to come out right. And I'm going to hate it. So I just kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. But second night of the campaign, he's like, I want to go stargazing. Can I read the stars? I'm like, oh, shit. And then, and then I slipped in just mention of, oh, and there's two of the five evil stars are in the sky tonight. Ooh, that's spooky. Ooh, evil stars. <laughs> they are positioned in such a way that they will never ever be in the sky all at once. Um, which I did tell him to. but anyway, so that, that's it. That's me. I got to brag about a project and I'm actually really excited about this and I'm really super proud of it. Um, I'm actually finishing up, um, finishing up with it. Um, our game session is tomorrow night and I don't think this is going to become relevant tomorrow night. Um, but I did need to have it done because I did need to have enough information to at least start the dungeon because the party will get to the dungeon sometime right before the end of tomorrow night's session, I suspect. Um, so they'll have enough time to get in through through a room or two, uh, depending on where I call it. So I needed to be prepared. So anyway, that's it. That's my story. I don't know. How am I for time now, Proselys? Should I do some Q&A? I yammered too much. But you know, it was fun. I you know, honestly, it was more fun to yammer about something I'm actually enjoying than um than to than to like pontificate on on gaming stuff or just complain about shit. So, you know what? I'm not going to apologize. I actually get to talk about something I'm excited about for my game for once. And anyway, all right. Uh, so let's do this then. Let's just, so there's 12 minutes left on the clock. Let's, let's, uh, let's add an extra half hour to the time. So let's make it, I'll take, I'll take the Q and will go for a maximum of 42 more minutes or 41 more minutes or whatever it is now un- until 830 my time. So, or ish, 830 ish, whatever is 42 minutes from now. Okay. So let's, uh, let's take some Q&A from the chat. And if you have any Q&A, note, there is a note theres a QA and a thread. So you can add a question or comment. Um, uh, I can't find the... I should be able to just link it, right? Uh, you can add a question or comment to the, the, Q, the live chat Q&A thread. And then I will go down and address them um, as I get to them. Um. Uh, yeah okay We nope there it is so i'm going to put the link in the chat that's where these th- that's where the thread goes or that's where the thread is and now i've lost the thread okay all right oops i always have trouble remembering how to how to do the thread side-by-side side with the channel because sometimes you click the link to the thread and it, the thread just swallows up the... uh, swallows up the thing and then sometimes they exist side-by-side side happily. Okay. Oops. <laughs> Sorry, this is a disaster. Okay, here we go. Okay, there's the thread. There's the live chat channel so I can see what people are saying currently, except... Okay, get back to the present. There we go. All right, here we go. I'm good at this. Kalidrev asks, what articles are you most looking forward to writing in 2024? Uh, That's a tough one. I was very much looking forward to True Game Mastery. Um... And I was excited to write that whole series. But now I have two follow-up series coming um, in 2024. One is True Campaign Managery, which, as I have already kind of spilled the beans, is not about planning and setting up a campaign and, you know, world building and plotting and stuff but it is actually about, the, about practical campaign management. It's all, the, it's all the advice that nobody will give you because everybody's too busy telling you how to do world building and do a session zero and all this shit. Nobody will actually talk about, hey, here's how you actually schedule. Or here's the things you should think about before you even sit down and uh, start generating characters. You know, here's the things you need to be ready for as a GM. Here's how you hold a campaign together, Um, and a big one is going to be here's how you how you resolve conflicts and talk to your players like human beings, which people desperately need. Even though I personally feel I shouldn't have to teach people this, I feel that it's something people should already know. Because you should know how to, you know, be a social person and just get along with friends and do a group activity. But apparently this is something that many people need to be taught now. Uh, And also when you try to teach them, a number of people will get offended and then tell you that it is more important to be right than have friends. Um, And then, of course, those people will not understand why nobody wants to listen to them say that and because yes i had that argument on my uh, on my website was the it is more important to be right than it is to be liked and it's like wow okay you know <laughs> so anyway the thing is i am dreading writing both true campaign managery and true scenario designery um scenario designery is probably going to be another year long thing it's probably going to start um in june and it's probably going to take us till next june okay there's there's a lot to unpack and i don't even know how i'm going to begin to tackle that um so i'm not so much looking forward to these things as i am i'm i'm dreading them so yeah so what am i looking forward to writing in 2024 The little middle-of-the-road articles that are not that. I am also really looking forward to actually getting Angry Hacks off the ground. I am very, very upset that I couldn't pull it off. Um, And while I could blame everything that has happened, there were also, you know, in some, you know, stuff is also my fault. So the Tension Dice thing, I really need to get the final Tension Dice rules out because they are the anchor point for all of the angry hacks that I had planned to write, um, most of which have to do with, in various different ways, town mode and exploration mode, or travel mode, I guess you should call it, which that question's gonna come up in a little while, isn't it? Okay, Mendel, the level nine rules lawyer asks, like an absolute fool, I'm restarting a campaign that has been on a six month hiatus. That is a terrible idea. You shouldn't do it. Mendel goes on to say, other than that's a terrible idea, don't do it. Is there any specific advice you can give me to help the game succeed? (sighs) A long, long time ago, I had a rule, and that was if a campaign missed three sessions, the campaign was dead. There was no going back to it. It was done. Um, it is only in the last couple of years as I have become a much less reliable game master for reasons um, that I started to move further and further from that rule, but I think it is a really, really good rule. Um, So, but that said, I was not on a six-month hiatus, but we did end up missing about 2 months of games in my current day D&D campaign. Um, and considering that it is this <sighs> it is a campaign where each of the players has different information and different secrets and there is this ancient history of the world that is playing into it and also there is this modern mystery of this scholar who is hunting for things who encountered an expatriate dwarf and you know and then there's the all these side plots because it seems like every noble and and commoner that the players have run into has been is running their own side scheme Um, so there's a lot of information even though it has only been a week of gameplay. And so when it was time to start up again, because I absolutely swore, I swore to my players actually, I promised my players that this campaign would have an ending. That was how this all started, was several of my players all contacted me or told me flat out to my face or sent me a message or whatever, and in one way or another, all of them said hey, I love your games and they're a lot of fun and I'm getting really burnt out by the fact that we never finish anything. Like we never get to an ending, we never get any closure. And one player who said that above all, it was clear that it really hurt him to even say that to me and that he didn't want to. Um, And also that it really did affect his enjoyment of the game a lot and so that was when the idea for the okay here it is here is my limited run adventure path and no matter what you know short of burying me in the ground this is going to be finished um which is why i plotted out the campaign and limited myself um so but that was why it was because it was actually heartbreaking to hear that and i knew that in that way um i have I, I'm a good GM, I run a really good game and my players love it but in that way I have sold them short I, have, I just am not giving them closure and everything keeps falling apart and I just keep letting it And so, you know anyway, so that is why after a very inconsistent two months we had to sort of get back into the campaign so here is what I did and here is what I recommend you do First, Mendel, you sit down, okay, open up your folder where you keep all your notes, and just browse through all your notes, okay? Take two hours and just look through everything that's there, okay? Don't organize it, don't take any notes, don't do anything, just look back at the shit. Oh, here's the list of all the treasure the party found. Oh, here's this weird table I made of travel times to this location, you know, yada, yada, yada. And just like look at each thing and be like, oh, what was this? What was this about? What Yada, yada, yada. Okay. You need to do this. Even if you think you remember everything, just then it will be really easy to just leaf through all your papers and be like, oh, okay, there's this, there's this, there's the yada, yada, yada. After you have done that, put it all back in the folder, put it aside open up a fresh document in your computer, or get out a fresh piece of paper and a pen, and write a recap from memory of your game, okay? Write down the major events. Just recap the whole thing. Write it all down, okay? Because at this point, any details that are small enough that you have forgotten them and that they didn't immediately jump out when you at you when you went through your notes, they are not important, okay? That is, you're just gonna have to give them up as lost forever. So that way you will do a couple of things. First, you will remind yourself what the important things that have happened in your game so far are. You will also, second, get yourself back into the world by writing the recap. And when I say write like, you know, like, obviously... And depending on how long the game was going, it could take you, uh, you know, it could be a 10-page recap or whatever. Okay. Once you have a recap and you feel like you now have a handle on the game again, it's not going to be a good handle. You're not going to feel right-footed in this campaign for a while. It's going to take you just as long to get back into it as it took to get into it in the first place. Okay. But you're at least going to have enough of a handle where you could start running the game again. Okay. Once you do that, then write another shorter recap that is for your players. Okay. And send it to them and make them read it. Okay. And, you know, normally I do not advocate trying to make your players read things between sessions. Okay. But in this case, it is a condition of restarting it is like i want to restart this campaign or you guys want to restart this campaign that's fine you need to read this recap you know make it as short make it as brief as possible remember you can always reintroduce details okay um you know if the players forget an important character or you you know if or if the character is minor enough not to be worth including in the player facing recap when that player, that character comes back into the game, you can slip the reminder in there. Oh, Otis, the the shopkeep comes up and he says, "Hello, it has been a long time since I see you. Saw you, and how are you doing? You remember, um, you, you know?" And then you slip into your GM voice and say, "You recall the last time you saw Otis was three weeks ago when you were passing through Amberwall and you were looking for, um, you know, a Deadly Nightshade, and he." happened to have some and he wouldn't tell you why, but he gave you a lot of winks and nods. Don't ask where I got this. And that, that is where you discovered that he might have connections to the underworld. And so there, Otis is greeting you again and saying, it has been a long time since I saw you. How fare you, travelers. You know, So you can just kind of slip in reminders of that stuff in your exposition for any small details. But I think that's the only way you're going to be able to do it. And even then, it's going to feel weird for a little while. It, it's going to feel disjointed. You know, if the campaign lends itself to it, um, like you can even do a little time skip. Um, like if you can explain why the characters may not have been active for a month, say like, oh, yeah, you've been in this Village for a month, recovering from your wounds after you fought that last terrible fight. Remember we did that six months ago and everything was a disaster? Well, it has taken you a month to recover. And then that sort of disjointed time skip helps the players um, sync up with their characters a little bit because then it makes sense that the characters feel a little wrong-footed about the world, too. But don't force something like that. It's just if you conveniently happen to have a way to do it already made in the campaign, that can help also. Pizza Doug is asking, how is your in-person game going with the new rule system? Has it given you any ideas to implement ways to improve the presentation and game systems you might publish in the future? Um... Okay, so I don't, I can't talk too much about my in-person game. Uh, we, I will say this: we have been running Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay Fourth Edition by Cubicle Seven. I have specifically been running them through the starter set. Um, oops. is everything? Am I still audible? Just quick sound check. Okay, okay, good. That was that was weird. It looked weird on my end. Okay. <sighs> Through the starter set, cubicle seven games, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, fourth edition. I have a very limited um I have very limited uh whatchamacallit experience with Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Um the players have almost none. Um Oh, is that what happened? Okay, Nori is saying Queezle unmuted the main her her main account. Okay, so maybe that's what threw me off. Okay, you look you look muted to me now. Okay, it's fine. Okay, anyway, or maybe you're only muted on my end. I don't know. Anyway, okay. Uh, so we've run about three sessions. Uh, and I figured we would get about three to four sessions out of this, so we have one more session to go before we are, before we are done. Um, I am sort of impressed by some of the things that Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay does because it is doing things that I wish. Well, okay, here's the awkward thing. It is do. There are a couple of things in Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. That depending on what I do with Slapdash or any other future projects, I may be accused of stealing from Warhammer Fantasy roleplay, even though I didn't know Warhammer did them when I decided they were things that needed to be done. There are a couple of things that Warhammer actually does pretty well. Um, I don't want to go into too much detail there, because then I would have to start talking about other projects, too. Um but I'm actually kind of impressed by the Warhammer system overall. Um the starter set adventure is uh it's hot garbage. Uh which is unsurprising. It is a it is a published starter set adventure. Um and the tone in Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 4th edition and especially the starter adventure is actually really weird. Now Warhammer and Warhammer 40K, the whole universe, has a unique tone to it, um, but having read materials from Warhammer Fantasy in the past, I will say that this, what I'm experiencing now, seems to be unique to the fourth edition of the game by Cubicle 7, where there is some weird silliness that just doesn't seem to fit. Like, there's, there is some silliness in the Warhammer universe, especially when you get to, like, the, the Greenskins and the Snotlings and stuff like that. There's, there's some silliness. But there's, some, like, the, the pre-generated characters, they have bonds between the characters. Now, Warhammer advertises itself as grim and perilous adventure. Okay, and it is basically late medieval fantasy meets cosmic horror. Okay, if you wanted to run a Bloodborne role-playing game, you could do it in the Warhammer engine. Okay, Bloodborne and Warhammer, basically the same setting. Okay, um... <laughs> so, um, yeah, Arthur's saying, really, yeah, really, actually, it's like as I was reading through it, I'm like, if if I filed some serial numbers off, this could be Bloodborne. Okay, it is that same. It is late medieval, uh, just kind of approaching on the Renaissance, where armor is starting to come get phased out. Black powder weapons are available but expensive. Um, and then, of course, uh, apart from the normal beastmen and goblins and normal fantasy monsters, you also have the, the the chaos, the basically the gods of chaos, the great old ones that are corrupting and pulling reality apart. Um, and as you give into corruption and insanity, um, you you are actually mutated. By it or corrupted by it, um, magic is a, is a corrupting force. It's, it's like it's uh, the reason why I wanted to run it is because as I was looking through it, I'm like, this is basic. This has the same flavor as Bloodborne, um, but you know, it's it's like D and D meets Bloodborne. If you wanted to run D and D Bloodborne, Warhammer is is how you'd do it. Um. Anyway. And you know what? Like uh, somebody said, uh, is it, does the entire party just get TPK in session one? Okay, I understand that high difficulty is something that is associated with Bloodborne, Dark Souls, and everything in the Dark Souls verse. Okay, but I would argue that it is not the level of difficulty that is even a defining feature of the Soulsborne experience. That you could make a Soulsborne video game or even a Soulsborne role-playing game that didn't require it to be a pick-up-and-die style game. You know, game where you, you pick up, you play a little while, you die, you try again, you die, you try again, you die, you try again. You die, you try again. I don't think that's actually as central to the Souls board experience as people think it is. Um, so anyway, but and that's every, like everybody says, how could you make a Dark Souls role-playing game? Even though they did make a Dark Souls role-playing game. I have not really read much of it yet. I know they did make a Dark Souls role-playing game. But how could you make a Dark Souls role-playing game? Because it, you know, Dark Souls, basically you get killed, come back to life, get killed, come back to life, get killed, come back to life. Is something people say... If they don't know what Dark Souls is, yes, there there is a ch- yeah. Stu is saying I think Dark Souls role playing game is based off Five E. Yeah, and that right there is how you know it's a failure. Eventually, I'll get around to checking it out. There are some things I want to see in it. I'm I want to, but anyway, I don't know what's going to happen. Whether this game has legs, my Warhammer Fantasy role play game. Um I started the game with basically the pitch I gave to the players was this um we'll play the starter set it's a group of new players um some of them are Angrions who I found out are local um and the rest are their friends um so it's a group of 3 so one of them is an angry on, who it turns out is local to me. And we met at a convention and we started chatting and so I'm like, great. I actually have a player. And then he happened to have two other players who were willing to join. So I said, you know, here's what we'll do. I, Cause I don't want to run D and really don't. Um, uh, But I have a bunch of different starter sets. We'll pick one. We'll try it. We'll play it for three or four sessions. If, you know and we'll do that to find out if we like playing together as a group and if we like the system. If we like playing together as a group but we don't like the system, we'll try something else instead. If we like the system and we like playing together as a group, we'll make real characters and I will start a real homebrew game in it. Okay, so um unfortunately at the second to last session of this, when I when when I went back and said, okay, you know, we're just about done now, and I'd like to start thinking about whether we're gonna what we're gonna do for the future, um, one of the players revealed to me that he was uncertain that he could actually commit to an ongoing game uh, due to a prior commitment that he felt obligated to. Uh, and with only three players, and then one of the other players revealed that they are also involved in that. So there was apparently a misunderstanding about the whole point of this being a test bed for an ongoing game, and so I was kind of blindsided and discovered that I may not have an ongoing real human game, uh, which, yeah, I, you know, that was it did make me a bit sad. Um, but I will see how it goes. There is the possibility that that it will not fall apart. Uh, but I'm I'm just waiting for final word on that. Anyway, um, I don't want to say too much more than that because, as I said, one of the players is an angry on, so he, he is hearing this right now. Uh, or will hear it later. Uh, so, yeah, um... But he is not one of the ones who blindsided me and said, hey, we may not be able to, to keep playing. So, I, you know, and anyway, but we'll see how that goes. But needless to say, I do like the rules of Warhammer, but, you know, maybe next for the January. For the January live chat. I I am going to put on the somebody remind me. Somebody keep show notes here. I am going to put, uh, I, I want to talk about that starter set. I want to give it an extensive discussion, particularly the adventure, because I think the adventure does several things that many starter adventures do that are wrong and terrible, and also the tone is a mess. All right. Alyssa asks, what do you think of Demon's Souls? Because I I gave in recently, um, decided to do something nice for myself, um, and I finally got myself a PlayStation 5, so I am once again a member of the current console generation, and the main reason for that was so that I could finally play Demon's Souls. I had never played Demon's Souls, and um, I, I had heard the remake is absolutely gorgeous, and... Um, one of my close friends, who is also a Soulsborn born wonk, um, keeps insisting that Demon's Souls is his favorite of all the Souls games. I will say so far that Demon's Souls is an amazing game. The, the reimagining, or the remake, or the remastering, or whatever the hell it is, the, the re-whatever, is absolutely gorgeous. It is stunningly looking. I have never, stunning looking. I have never cared about graphics. Like, I have never been impressed as I've come up through the console generations. Like, oh my God, I can't, you know, probably like, probably when I went from like Super Nintendo to Nintendo 64, and then again, you know, um, maybe to, oh, and then GameCube to PS3, because I missed a couple of generations in there. So then it was PS, so it was N64 GameCube, and then it was PS3. But, I've never been floored by graphics, but Demon Souls actually floored me. It's like, oh my gosh, this game, this is just gorgeous. It is, so, like, it's an ugly world. It's an ugly, dark, miserable, terrible world because it's a Soulsborne game, but it's also beautiful in its way, you know? Um, the level design is really good. I really like the way it is organized. Um, uh, but I've also put my playthrough on hold because I made some technical errors in deciding on my equipment loadout and what to... Uh, I actually... Discuss. So I loved the halberd in Dark Souls. The halberd was my favorite weapon. Um, but I also like to play Dark Souls as a rolly guy, as a, as a quick step guy, as a dodgy guy, not a shield guy. So my, my playthrough in Dark Souls was mostly using a two-handed halberd, um, with the bandit armor set so that I could roll. Um, and, and then, um. So, in Demon's Souls, one of the classes, the Temple Knight, starts with a halberd. And I am also very drawn to cleric classes, in general, just in games all over. Like, I love the cleric and the paladin, so so I'm like, okay, fine, I'm going to be the friggin' Temple Knight. And the friggin' Temple Knight starts with a halberd. And there are two things right off the bat. One of them is that he's laden down with heavy armor. So you can't do the dodgy, roly-poly thing. Which is okay because one of the things that impressed me about Demon Souls is letting your armor tank damage does seem to be more viable than in other Souls games where you can't like in Dark Souls if you just took hits you you couldn't play very long. Okay, in Demon Souls the damage damage output of the enemies seems forgiving enough and the frequency of healing items is enough that you can choose to be a tanky character where you can choose to have a heavy armor set and not use a shield and just say you know what some of the enemies are going to hit me i'm not going to manage to avoid or block everything uh you rely on the distance of the weapon to interrupt most enemies, and the, 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 the thing is a high stagger thing, but some enemies are just gonna get through and you can survive that. And I felt like that that was a viable choice, so I was okay with it. Um, only, as you start fighting bosses, it turns out that it is not okay um, that you still need to either be lightly armored and dodgy, or you need a shield. Um, so there, that was the first problem. The second problem was the halberd move set is different. Okay, whereas in Dark Souls the the primary like the main light attack of the halberd is a thrusting attack with the halberd's point. Um the halberd attack in Demon Souls is a downward slash, which means it's shorter range than you think it is. Um, And it's a little bit slower, so it doesn't rely on interrupts. Because that was how I played. I relied on using the weapon's superior reach to interrupt the foe before he got to me. um, And then I relied on my footwork um, to also avoid enemy attacks um, if I couldn't do that. And then, you know, stuff like that. Okay. Unfortunately, none of that is possible. I also decided to go with a upgrade path for the halberd called the crushing upgrade path. I realize we're getting into the mechanical weeds here. There are several upgrade paths that, um, that you can do with your weapons, like all dark souls games, you know, there's a generic path and then you can enhance its reliance on strength or enhance its reliance on dexterity or whatever. And I decided since I had started building a strength character anyway, that what the hell I was going to go with the crushing path, not realizing that of all the upgrade materials in the game, the, one, the only ones that you can't really find very easily and very commonly are the crushing ones. And I kept forcing my way through saying, no, I love the Temple Knight. I love it. He's got his halberd. You know, he's a strong. He's strong. He's tough. He can take a hit. Um, and I realized I wasn't actually enjoying the character build. It just, it just wasn't fun for me. So... I decided to put the the, the play the thing on hold. I will go back to it after the holidays. I will start with someone who is deliberately lightly armored and then I will build into having a winged spear which has a moveset that I much more like and then I think I will enjoy it much more. But as far as what I got through 1-1, 1-2 2-1 I got to the boss of 2-2. Two, two. I hadn't beaten it yet. And I got to the boss of 3-1, but I hadn't beaten it yet, so that's where I am. For those who know with Demon Souls. Okay, Queasel, how would you solve the hit dice HP recovery issues that were discussed earlier this afternoon in the hacking channel? I'm just gonna briefly touch on this one, especially because I don't know how much time I have left because I lost track of how much time we added and I don't know what time it is now. Um and also because I don't want to get into mechanical minutiae right now. Okay. Four-minute warning unless you want to extend. Yeah, You know what? You're off duty. Proselys, just, just, you know, close down the producer's booth, lock the door, shut off the lights. I'll hang out for as long as I, I hang out. But I still don't want to get into the mechanical minutia of this. Okay. Because what I'm actually... Proselys isn't decommissioned. I'm just telling him to stand down. Okay because this is actually not the hit point and hit, the hit dice and hit point recovery issue. Okay? This is encumbrance again. And I'm going to tell you what the real issue is here. Because the real issue is not hit points and hit dice. It is not encumbrance. Okay? These are all things. The issue that we have all been dancing around is this. Dungeons & Dragons, and in fact, I am not sure, like, I have to look more closely at Ryutama. I think Ryutama might be the one that does it, but I haven't really looked too much into it yet. Okay. What is actually missing is what I am going to call a travel and survival mechanic. Okay, there is not a system in Dungeons & Dragons, or in fact many roleplay, actually the One Ring, I am told, has something. So I have to look at it too. Which is one of the starter sets that my group didn't vote on playing. But anyway. There is no system... No cohesive, major, primary system for, what? let's call it, um, let's call it exploration, even though that's the terrible word for it, okay? But it's what everybody means when they talk about we need an exploration system. Everybody keeps talking about we need an exploration system in games, and I keep pointing out, well, what the hell do you mean when you say exploration system and nobody can answer And the reason nobody can answer is because we can all see the thing that's missing, but we can't quite put a name to what it is because there's a bunch of different pieces of it in place, but there's no cohesive unifying it, okay? It is the system that determines how successfully... The characters can cross the world. Woosh is saying an expedition system, and I came so close to using the word expedition. The problem is the expedition is the whole dungeon thing too, right? Okay, so it's like, it's, you could call it a travel system, but it's not travel. Okay, because it's not just travel, because there's a whole bunch of other shit wrapped up in there, right? There's, like, so, okay, I'm going to make Arthur happy here, because I'm going to talk gameplay at its most basic, and I know I'm going to get people saying this isn't what it has to be. D&D can be anything to anyone. You know, and that's all bullshit because this is it. This is the, the fantasy adventure gameplay loop is this You are in town, you learn about an adventure somewhere out in the wilderness. Perhaps an NPC asks you to complete a quest. Perhaps you discover a treasure map. Perhaps you hear rumors about a specific location. Or perhaps you simply have a map that has dots on it and you decide, I wanna know what's at that dot, okay? Whatever it is, you find out there is an adventure out there to be had. You then set out and travel to the adventure. You then do the adventure. You then come back to town. That is the gameplay loop. Okay, right. And yeah, Ryutama, Nori is pointing out Ryutama has journey rules. And, that, and journey is a good word for it. It's the day-to-day travel loop. Condition check, travel, yada, yada, yada. Okay. Ryutama like, if that's it, if they're doing four whole checks for that, then they're already crazy. But, okay. In that mess, okay, the reason, like, you have rules for travel. Right, you have rules in D and D for things like travel pace and navigation and getting lost and foraging and keeping a lookout and all this shit, right? And you have rules for encounters on the way, and you have rules for this and that. Blah blah blah. Okay, you also, in theory, you have to mark off rations every day or you can forage or whatever. So you have all these little pieces of the system, okay? But number one. They, are, they, they aren't fit together into one major idea, okay? There, there isn't a travel loop. There isn't a way to resolve travel, which is what you need. You need a way to resolve travel. And once you have the way to resolve travel, all the other shit feeds into it encumbrance feeds into it, because the fact that encumbrance affects combat is stupid and wrong. And at this point, if you're still holding on to the idea that how much crap you're carrying in your backpack should um, should affect your stats in combat, please raise your hand so I can excommunicate you, because you're just wrong. That is a stupid, terrible idea. Not from a realism perspective, or not because it's a terrible idea, but because from a gameplay design standpoint, it's just the wrong way to do it, okay? What the crap in your pack should affect is travel. Hold on, I gotta excommunicate someone. You are wrong. Woosh. Woosh is wrong, woosh has been excommunicated, okay? Anybody else, like, are you really all gonna do that? Can I elaborate why? No, not right now, okay? Like, <laughs> because, because that's the answer, because it's, can I say why? No, no, I, it's, it's axiomatically true, because I only speak true things. I have made it a rule that I will only say correct, true, honest, right things. Therefore, if I'm saying it, it must be true. That is the reason why, okay. So your encumbrance system hangs off of that. Your your survival system, your food and water and shelter and um shelter, like shelter being a big one. Right? what are the, what are your primary needs, right? Food, water, shelter. You know, D&D makes no bones about shelter. <laughs> Which is kind of funny. Right? It it makes rules about like um you know, he, you have to at least eat this much food. It also doesn't actually handle water very well. Okay, water is just handled by do you have a water skin on your character sheet? Then you're okay. You know, it's kind of like the same as spell components. Did you write down spell components on your character sheet? Fine, then you got spell components. You're never going to run out of spells. You're never going to dehydrate. You have water skins. Which, to be fair, is actually not that far off. Because in general, like, can we not know? Like, yes, the whole dysentery thing. But in general, um, you couldn't carry enough water on your person to make a multiple day journey because water is very heavy. So, you know, you would carry a couple of skins so that you made sure you had enough. But you would also frequently find water in your travels because water is actually pretty common except in certain regions you know so and and so it's common enough that you could it only needs to be a problem when it's a problem which is by the way the other thing okay is one of the important things about the travel system is that when there are no problems it must be easy to deal with okay it's like you should only like rations and stuff should be cursory It should be the easiest thing in the world to handle to make sure that you are fed and watered and sheltered and slept. Unless you are in an environment or in a situation where there is some reason why you can't be. You know, you're crossing barren hills or your campaign world is a drought or something like that. Okay, the key is you want rule rules that will sink into the background when they are unnecessary. But then that means they have to be simple enough that when they are necessary, everybody still remembers how to do them. Okay. So you need a really, really elegant system, which is why I immediately looked at when when Nori said Ryutama has these four checks. I'm like, four checks is too many. Okay. Okay. But also, one check is too few. Okay? So, because the idea is, like, right now, if you roll a survival check, you are, like, your survival is handled. And that is completely uninteresting. If you can roll a check to just overcome a situation, then that's rolling the gameplay away, okay? In in fact, in point of fact, that is why travel mode cannot be roll some checks. Or, you know, if if it doesn't involve, you, you know, like choices and it doesn't follow from the choices you've made, then it's not gameplay. It's just a random check. Random checks can be a part of it, But the party still needs to plan for it in some way. You know, so like one of the things that a lot of systems you do when they have these checks is that they don't require the players to properly know how to declare a travel action. D&D is actually better about this than many systems. D&D 5e actually does tell you if you read it um number 1 that if the you know the players need to follow a trail or a landmark or something or else someone needs to navigate and that person who's navigating then can't be a lookout and they can't forage, they can't do anything else. Except, you know, like I, I am going to say d rules are not perfect and there are screw ups here, but the 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 platonic ideal is in there somewhere. OK, and then there is the second thing is so you pick a route and you pick. Uh, pace and you pick a marching order, you don't have to march single file, DD is d tells you that, but it, you do have to specify who is in the front rank And it can be multiple characters in the front rank, and who is in the back rank, and who is clumped up in the middle, okay? So so you specify your route, you pick a route, you pick a pace, and you pick jobs, and you pick ranks. And it's like, okay, so all of that stuff then does sort of figure into the outcome. Depending on the path you pick or the navigator, you may have to roll a check to become not lost or, uh, and depending on you know who is in what rank, when encounters break out, the different positions or who might be in trouble, who might fall into hazards, this, that, and the other thing. Depending on the speed, um, you can be stealthy or you can't forage or things like that. So these all these little choices, um, they are all sort of feeding into something. It's just the something in the middle is really, really clumsy and and this is where the D&D system fails because if it didn't do this one thing, I would actually call D&D almost right. Okay? None of it matters because D&D doesn't have Lasting consequences. Okay? You can chew up spell slots while traveling, and then go to sleep when right outside the dungeon and get all your spell slots back. You can chew up hit points and go to sleep right before you go into the dungeon and get your hit points back. If you have to, you can go to sleep for two days when you get to the dungeon door, and then get your hit dice back, right? And there's very little else except, of course, for exhaustion. And no one wants to use exhaustion because exhaustion is either meaningless or punitive. There's only two ways it can go. Okay, so um, that's the problem. So really what, the, and the thing is, and the reason why I started with the gameplay loop is that what you have to understand is that the gameplay loop tells you that the travel needs to affect the state you arrive at the adventure in. The better you travel, the better equipped you are to do the adventure. If your travel goes poorly, you are in a worse state for your adventure. And that is the missing piece. Okay, is that you need an elegant system for resolving travel that can take a large number of inputs. Because travel is affected by a large number of things like encumbrance, like weather, like route planning, like this, like that. So you need a good, elegant way to resolve travel that can nonetheless handle a lot of inputs and is extremely granular um, because it has to be extremely granular because when you have so many different things affecting it, then every little effect has to have an effect and none of them can have too much of an effect. So be like, you can't do it just in advantage and disadvantage, because once you have advantage or disadvantage, it doesn't matter how you do it. So you need a very elegant system for resolving travel that can take a lot of inputs, um, and is very granular, but is still simple enough that it can be remembered when it doesn't get used for a while, because if travel just goes well, and it has to, in some way, chew up the party's adventuring resources. So that when they get to the actual adventure, they feel the effects of travel. On the way home, um, they also have to feel the effects of travel But in that case, it's going to determine how much of what they have gained and recovered they actually bring back with them. So you could consider it like this. On the way out, as you're traveling, um, obviously it's chewing up supplies and resources so that you may have fewer resources to adventure with. You may not be in as healthy a position. You may have conditions that make it hard to adventure things like that yada 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 and then you get there then you do the adventure on the way back um you may experience because you don't want to die on the way back realistically and you know like that's that's the worst like you can let people like obviously you don't want to stop characters from dying but if they're going to die you want them to die on the adventure you do not want to want them to die on the way back that just sucks Okay? So, like, I mean, it could could conceivably happen. But, like, in the back, this is one of those things where, like, lying to the players and not running an exploration-based game becomes important. Okay? Because, like, the players never need to know the fact that on the way back, random encounters are never above a certain CR. Okay, that when you construct the random encounter tables for travel, on the way back, the party will only ever encounter minor encounters, but you, the GM, never tell the players that. Okay, this is one of those things where it becomes important to just lie and hide the background sim. Because you don't want them to die, but you don't want them to ever think that, that it's impossible to die. Right? So. Bloodstained Crow is saying if they die on the way back, it should feel as if it was due to exhaustion wounds from the dungeon. i.e., that, No. No. If they die, they shouldn't die on the way back. That's what I'm saying. If, if they die in the dungeon, like if they die on the adventure, they die on the adventure if they completed the adventure successfully, or they retreated from the adventure because they felt they couldn't be successful, and they had to retreat back to town, they should not die on the way back to town. It should be an extremely outlandish possibility. Okay, that they get into a minor encounter and they fuck it up so bad, that they get themselves killed, and the GM can honestly say, look, guys, d- like a bunch of anemic lemurs could've survived that encounter. You're just fuckwits. I'm not sorry you're dead. But that's on you, okay? Um, it, like You still have to let the dice fall where they may. But when designing the system, you design the system so that the dice probably aren't gonna fall to kill the players. Right on the way back. Anyway, but now I'm getting way off track. So the point is what needs to be, you need to build a better travel system before you can build a recovery system before you can build a, an encumbrance system, before you can build an inventory. That's another thing, by the way. Why were, why were we having so much in trouble with an encumbrance system? Because it's not an encumbrance system, it's an inventory system. And d and doesn't have an inventory system, it has a list on a piece of paper. And that's all the thought that went into the inventory, is, well, you just keep a list of the shit you have. And like, yeah, functionally, yes, that is the point of an inventory system is that the players write down the things their characters have, in theory, okay? So I'm not saying that the inventory thing shouldn't be a list, but no thought is given to the fact that this is not just a list of things you own. There is a game system there, and it feeds into other systems, okay? This is the point Arthur was making earlier, and the point that i have made now several times it is that you're we are trying to build subsystems but the big you you don't start there you start with the biggest gameplay loop right so right off the bat i understand the players will be in town then they will travel to an adventure then they will have the adventure then they will travel back to town, okay? So at the very first and foremost, I need to know how those four things happen, okay? What does it, what is being in town look like? What does traveling to the adventure and traveling from the adventure look like? What does being on the adventure look like? What kind of things will the players do when they're on an adventure? They will have to overcome obstacles, okay, so they will need ability checks. They will have to deal with hazards. They they will have to have fights, you know. The yada, 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 other stuff. And then there are the systems that transcend all things. The inventory system. The inventory system in town is about buying and selling and repairing and resupplying shit. Right? And maybe crafting shit. Uh, The inventory system while traveling is your... you you know, your basic, your basic staples of survival, but it is also weighing you down. And the more you are carrying, the harder it is to travel. Uh, And in the adventure itself, these are the supplies you use to adventure. They are your ammunition and your spell components. And of course, any consumables you might have and this and that and the other thing and your healing resource and all of that stuff. So it's like, You identify, first you have your gameplay loop and then you identify these systems and what they're doing at each point and what information is passing from one to the other. Which is what I mean when I say the travel system needs to tell the adventure system this is the state the characters are in when they arrive at the adventure's location. Okay, now, this is all very abstract. Okay, this is very, very, very high level. Okay, and the danger when you talk about this stuff abstractly at a very high level is that you give the impression that it is then simple, okay? that basically every adventure will be the players make a role to travel to the dungeon then they have then they play in the dungeon then they make a role to travel home and that is not what i am saying okay the system has to take into account as uh, all the possibilities you want to have you know whether it's the party navigating over trackless terrain versus following a guide versus following a um, you know uh, versus following a landmark or a road or a river or whatever, whether it's, okay, how does weather affect this? Okay, how does terrain affect this? Okay, how does distance affect this? And as they level up, how far can the... Ca- how does the advancement system affect the travel system? This is something D&D doesn't think... This is something I don't think any role-playing game thinks about. Okay, number one... Your advancement system should make it possible for you to travel farther and to travel back to and to travel to more exotic locales. But number 2, like things that are obstacles to low-level characters should not be obstacles to high-level characters. Like at a certain point the travel system needs to take into account the fact that the party that any party can find a way to fly. okay? Whether it is a flying carpet or whether it is the wizard can cast overland flight, or whether they have winged mounts or something, at some point the travel system needs to say, okay, and now that the party can fly, So anyway. So Queasel, that is my non-answer answer complicated pontification. Okay. Yeah, Nori is saying is close, but falls short. I've leafed through it, um, and, uh, yeah, it, I don't, look, honestly, I don't think there's any game out, out there doing this, and this is, this is where the slapdash thing becomes super complicated. But I have a Slapdash chat on Monday, and I will have to explain that complication then, okay, to those of you who are entitled to listen to the Slapdash chat. The Slapdash project has... I... I, Woosh is saying theoretically one could make a super complicated travel system and play test it down until it becomes more streamlined. And yeah, that's basically what you do is you build, you build a system, you cobble together a system with, you know, duct tape and bubble gum and spit uh, and you take it to the table and then you play with it and then you just keep filing it down and refining it and polishing it until you have something that looks almost good and then you make a really, really, really good one. Pete's Doug is saying, I feel like 5e even had a halfway decent recovery mechanic, but screwed that up. Yeah, the hit dice system, I don't like the way hit dice are handled, but it could have been a good recovery mechanic. Um, It, it has the elements of a good mechanic in there. Honestly, so here's the thing. I critique D&D 5e a lot. Okay? And... There are certain elements of the way 5e was designed, that is the overall design vision, that I just don't agree with. But 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons is not, by any stretch, a bad game. Did we lose angry? Did we? False alarm, that was Arthur. Okay, D&D 5e is not a bad game. It is not at all a bad game it's perfectly functional. It's perfectly adequate. In some places, it's even good. That's why last year at this time, I wrote five things that are actually good about D&D 5e, right? Okay, there are, it doesn't do what I want it to do, but it's not a bad game and it's not badly put together. And honestly, a lot of the things people claim are missing from it or claim that it doesn't do are more a result of people just not reading shit. Um, but anyway, at this point, I have now been rambling on for I think about two hours. Looking at, yeah. Uh, so, um, Logic Dragon's asking about the Angry Verse, but the Angry Verse is dead, so there's so I can't answer that question. Stu is. What irks you about the term analysis paralysis? Um I ha- I do hate the term. Okay. Okay. Um it's not so much like it's as soon as a term becomes popular then then it's just like it becomes overused. And it becomes an excuse, okay. Ultimate, it's like, look, I learned about analysis paralysis before anybody in gaming was talking about it, okay. Because a lot of the concept of analysis paralysis, the seminal work for it was laid by a, a psychiatrist or a psychologist, psycho, some sort of psycho um, named Barry Schwartz who wrote a book on this many, 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 many years ago, it's been revised a couple of times now, called The Paradox of Choice. Okay. And it was an entire book about how people engage with choices. One of the things that was discovered is that in certain situations, okay, Certain types of people um, f- have a great deal of difficulty making a ch- making decisions between large numbers of options. Okay, which, by the way, that's not news. Okay, no shit. When there's fifty things to choose from, it's harder to choose, huh? Who would have thought? Okay? Like, that's not... Okay. That's not a revelation. And it's a shame that a lot of his work was boiled down into this concept of, well, when you have a lot of choices, it's hard to make a choice. Because that's the one thing that, like, he he didn't discover that. Everybody knows that. Okay? But... What it became, especially in gaming, was once the term became popular, especially among board gamers, it got most popular among board gamers. They talk about it all the time. Okay? What it became was an excuse for people's indecisiveness. Okay? Where if you had indecisive people who took an hour to make their turn... Then you would blame the game and you would say, well, the game gives you so many options. It's analysis paralysis. You can't blame the. It's like, yeah, I actually can blame you because you know what? I know there's a lot of choices here, but there's not a cash prize at the end of this. So just pick something. okay? and the problem is analysis paralysis has become an excuse for indecisive people to be indecisive and waste my time. And that's what irks me about it. Is it true that when you have a lot of options, it is tougher to decide? Yes. At the same time, you need to make a decision and you need to make a decision quickly. And I don't care if it's hard. So suck it up, buttercup and make a choice. Okay. That has been true since the beginning of time. Okay. Yes, it's hard to make choices, but you still have to make choices. Okay, so analysis paralysis became a thing where we started chastising board games for giving people options because some people are indecisive. And also it is a certain personality type that is indecisive. And I mean, the most important thing that came out of Barry Swartz's book, Paradox of Choice, by the way, is the chapter where he tells you what you can do about this. Okay, because in the end, it's your problem. You may be wired up to struggle with choices, but life still demands you make choices and people are waiting, so you'd better learn how to cope with it, okay? And and so this is what annoys me about analysis paralysis is it became this sort of fatalistic, well, what can you do with analysis paralysis? We just gotta live with it. And I hate it, okay? Especially because it also became a thing that people used to yell at game designers and say, well, you gave people too many choices. It's like, people like choices. Okay, The bigger problem isn't, by the way, that a lot of options makes it hard to make choices. Okay, That isn't even the bigger problem. The big problem is the more options you have, the less happy you are with any choice you make. Okay? Um, this, this has been, you you know, he did extensive research on this and many others have since then. And one of the things they discovered is that if you had 50 different choices, whatever you picked, you are much less likely to be happy with than the thing that someone who only had two choices picked. Okay. Buyer's remorse is much more common if you had more choices. Okay. Another thing they discovered is that the easier it is for you to go back on your choices, the less happy you are with what you chose. Okay. If you allow people to retrain their character without cost, they are more likely to retrain a lot and never quite be happy with their character. Instead you should charge them 50,000 gold pieces or just say no your choice is permanent. Okay? These these are also very important things that came about how to, how people engage with choices. Another thing was to understand that there are two kinds of people, there are optimizers and satisficers, but and it's satisficer, not satisfier. But also that everybody is a little bit optimizer and a little bit satisficer, but they are in different situations, okay? So, like, I may think nothing about what to have for dinner. Like, I don't care. It doesn't bother me at all. But it takes me um, an hour to decide the route I want to take to travel to a neighboring town. Okay, because when I'm traveling, I'm an optimizer. And when I'm picking a meal, I'm a satisficer. When I, like, and, you know, some people in restaurants, they can just pick something very easily and other people um, pour over the menu for hours. And by the way, the bigger the menu at the restaurant, the longer people take to pick their food, but also the less happy they are with their food. Um, The more limited the menu, the more happy most people are. Anyway, stuff like that. Anyway, so that's, that is everything. that That's my speech on analysis paralysis, okay? It is buried. Using that term buries a lot of really good research under something that literally no one needed to be told, and people use it as an excuse to not actually just get over themselves and pick an action in combat so that we can get through a couple of encounters tonight. You know, and then when I say something like, Hey, you know what? Give your players like, to kill till the count of three to declare an action, people say, Well, you know, if you're playing this game, there's a lot of analysis paralysis. And I'll say, I don't give a shit. I'll break that paralysis. You can unparalyze something if someone if you slap them hard enough. That's how that works. Great Kate is saying, what is in in your opinion the best method and location to assemble a group of players, victims, to run a game for, assuming you were to run an online campaign? Uh, If you're running an online campaign, the best location to assemble your players is online. That's what running an online campaign means. You get everybody together online. You know, it sucks because it's not like running for real people in real in the real life but there you go uh and with that i think i'm gonna say good (laughs) night maybe location was the wrong word to choose Oh, oh like where do you find like how do you actually find people I don't even know anymore. I'll figure it out. I, there's going to be an article on it. So this is one of those things I'm going to have to actually do some research on, um, especially because the internet has, um, has been in shitified. Uh, so now it doesn't work the way it used to. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to be looking into this. But anyway, all right. I wish everybody who is listening either tonight or to the recording a safe happy and healthy holiday season, or just to save happy and healthy December if you are not particularly enamored of any particular holidays. Um, I wanna thank everybody for sticking with me through this entire year, because this year started on a down note and just kept going down. I, I hit rock bottom and started digging this year. Um, but now I have turned around that I'm digging upward. So, yeah, I can't take credit for inshittification. Somebody did a, a video essay on the inshittification of the internet, and what they said is absolutely true. Um, for, for legitimate reasons. It's not just a hot take, it's not just clickbait. Um, that there have been legitimate changes in how the internet is organized and how information is presented that is just making it terrible for people. Um, anyway. Yeah, it's not bad. It's uh, there's there's certain things that it didn't touch on, but um anyway, so I am doing my thank yous. I'm doing everybody stop. I'm doing the I'm doing the nice part where I actually am a nice guy. So I want to thank everybody for standing by me and sticking with me and encouraging me and supporting me, especially over these last couple of months as everything has gone kind of downhill. Next week, I finally do get to see the heart doctor and hopefully that will help solve the mystery of why my heart tried to explode those two times. Um, which has been a long time in coming and I'm making other positive steps. Meanwhile, I am writing articles and recording proofread alouds, which I'm very proud of. Oh shit. I got to put the proofread aloud up tomorrow too. But anyway, so there is that. I want to absolutely thank again, Nox Eternus, Athator, Athator, Alyssa, Great Kate, Ice Bear, Nail, um, Wiley, Gandave, Suyin, Chris Aor, Queezle, Merman, Mendel, Odog, Logic Dragon, Nitsua, Agent Carr, Arthur, um, October Foundry, Proselys and Woosh for the excellent gifts. I am definitely going to treasure them. Uh, They mean a lot to me. Um, And thank you also to my players playing in my games and for putting up with things over the last couple of months and those of you who keep reaching out to me and just making sure i'm okay and just checking in if i disappear for more than a few hours i really appreciate that thank you so much and with that uh i guess i'm done so click